welcome to The Rambler. This week's episode, my interview, my guest today is with Rachel Park. Yes, Rachel Park, the fashion designer, fashionista, the designer of many bespoke ties and the Park Puff, which is a seatbelt puff cushion for breast cancer survivors like herself. You're going to hear her amazing story in just a minute. Uh, But first, I just wanted you to take a look at your clock and your watches and all the clocks around your house, and I want you to turn them forward an hour because it's daylight savings time, unless you live in Arizona, because I don't think they do that. But for everybody else in the United States, it is daylight savings time. Do not forget, you just lost an hour of sleep. I'm going to go make up for it in about two seconds because I woke up. Oh, God, I woke up in the middle of the night again, and not because of the dogs this time. It's because I couldn't breathe. I couldn't breathe. I have issues with the wheezing and my, my chest and my throat are real tight. And it's not because I'm sick. I'm not sick. I don't have a cold. It's because this allergy season all of a sudden. This global warming, climate change, whatever you want to call it, is killing me. Spring, I'm going to tell you right now, people, spring is my least favorite season. I take the, uh, the Flonase. That's what I do. I think I mentioned it on like the last episode, maybe the episode before. I needed it. I got it. I got the Flonase. And it's not helping with the wheezing, other than like Benadryl. Does anybody, does anybody have any any tips out there? Are there other drugs I should be getting? Maybe I need an inhaler. Maybe I should get an inhaler. I can inhale at night and not die, not feel like I'm going to die. I used to, as a kid, I'd, I'd panic, which would make it worse. I'd wake up in the middle of the night and I'd wake up my parents and I'd tell them I can't breathe, I can't breathe. And they're like, what do we do? I don't know. What do we do? It's, it's a nightmare. I don't know. I don't know what to do. I guess just I got to get an inhaler or something like a, you know, like when the nerdy kids in those 80s movies did. You know, you always knew who the nerd was because you had Coke bottle glasses and an inhaler. Hey, yeah, it's not a fair representation. Cool people have inhalers, too. I mean, maybe not that cool. Like, you know, I think I'm cool. You know, if you're listening to this, I bet you think I'm cool. Right. Right. I'm going to pretend that is how you feel about me and my inhaler situation. In any case, uh, did everybody have a good week this week? Are you looking forward to a good week this coming week, despite the fact that uh, we're we're an hour shorter this week because of daylight savings? Yeah, yeah, it's a weird weird thing, daylight savings. I went to uh, Rutgers yesterday with my alma mater uh, to do an interview for uh, next week's show with Megan McCartney. That's a good interview, but um, yeah, Rutgers. I haven't been there since uh, since I graduated in 2007. Yeah, I went to Rutgers University in New Brunswick, the New Brunswick campus, College Avenue. Yes, some of you know where that is. Others, I uh, you can look it up, I guess. It's it's home to Maxim Magazine's number one fat sandwich. Uh, I don't know which one it is because there are many selections, and I don't even know that there are other fat sandwiches in the country because I didn't actually read the article because I, I don't. I haven't read Maxim Magazine probably since high school. But in any case, the the infamous grease trucks uh, at Rutgers have, have left the campus. Uh, they have paved the way. There's a lot of construction over there. It looks like I drove around really quick. I haven't done that for, uh, I haven't checked out that area in a while. I had no reason to go back until the interview, and I, I went back. I checked it out. Checked out the old school. It looks like they're doing a lot of up, updating and upgrading, which is good, which is good. There's a lot of old buildings, and, and they need new construction for the students, really. I thought they would have torn down my freshman year dorms. I can't even remember the name of the hall. I want to say it was Campbell Hall, maybe. I, I can't remember. 
my freshman year dorm name. Anyways, I th- they were right on the Raritan River, and I think a couple of years ago they were supposed to uh, get torn down, but they didn't get torn down. I drove by them. They're still there. Other things are getting built up. We did the interview on Livingston Campus, where I used to do theater with the Livingston Theater Company, uh, and that is completely different. Livingston used to be the campus that uh, you went to if you just wanted to hang out in the middle of a field uh, in between going to see one of uh, the LTC shows. Now it is crazy built up. I couldn't believe. I couldn't believe how much has changed. It's like a like an outdoor mall over there now. It's crazy. They have their own movie theater. They have a movie theater. We, we, like, I don't really understand what they're doing with the movie theater. You can just go to Route 1 and see a movie. I don't know. I, I didn't see it. It's, everybody's on spring break now, so I have no idea what was uh, what it's like over there. They had a Starbucks and a Cadoba and an Asian fusion type of restaurant and a 16 Handles Froya. Yeah, we didn't have any of that. We had a Dunkin' Donuts and a Sparrow Pizza, and we were happy with it. Damn kids, get off of my lawn. Yeah, I, I guess I do sound old. I'm sounding old and out. You know, you, you have no idea uh, how uh, how good you have it. I remember paying $35 for a 32 megabyte, megabyte thumb drive. Is that insane? That's insane now. Now you can get a 64 gigabyte micro SD card. I'm aging myself. Look, let's just get this over with, all right? Uh, stop talking about all how old I am, and let's get to our conversation with Rachel Park starting now. Enjoy. How have you been doing? I'm good. I have a little bit of a cold today, but um, drinking lots of tea and soup and um, cough drops, so a little better. Yes, I am also getting over a pretty, I don't know, like last week I had like one day where it like got a, I had a slight fever and it hit mm-hmm. me and then like the fever broke that afternoon the same day, which was good. But ever since then I've had this cough. So I've been uh, eating a lot of halls and drinking tea. <laughs> but I don't know how much that's helping because every day it's like, and then I'm like, it's starting to get allergy season and I'm like, maybe it's allergies coming around because... The weather's been so crazy here. True. I don't know how the we- how's the weather been out in uh, California. Um, don't hate me, but it's like 80s now. So, um, how do you even get sick nice. in an environment? Like that? <laughs> it's pretty nice, but um, is it like yeah, I just beautiful and sunny there. This week, yeah. So, oh my god. Yeah. <laughs> Which part of California do you live in? Sorry, New York. Um, I'm in Los Angeles. <laughs> And it's 80 degrees and sunny in L.A. Um, yeah. Wow. I'm, uh, <laughs> yeah. Me and everybody in the East Coast, um, especially in the Northeast, are extremely jealous right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, especially because I think when uh, we first started emailing uh, after the Holly interview mm-hmm. aired, uh, you had emailed me and said it was 90 degrees and uh, yeah. sunny. And back in New York... It was, uh, I think that was the weekend where it was like negative 25 with a wind chill. <laughs> so that was pretty, that was pretty sweet to rub that, rub that in our faces. <laughs> Appreciate oh, that. I do what I can. <laughs> <laughs> I used to live in New York, so I've, I've lived through a lot of the negative 25 winters. So. Oh yeah. Well, I feel like that's a rare, that's a rare occurrence. It's not always, it's not mm. always negative. That's like probably the worst. That's the coldest that I think I've been in New York. Is that with the wind chill? 
It was like yeah. pretty pretty bone cutting was the wind. Yeah, it looked awful on TV. I saw things on TV. So. It felt oh yeah. I bet it was real rough <laughs> looking at that at, yeah. on, on the television. <laughs> Watching the Weather Channel, and There's... they're like, "It's beautiful in California, still no change here." There's a meme I sent somebody that said the my favorite part of winters watching it on TV from California. <laughs> Sorry. Thank you. That's great. How long have you been out in California then? Um, been a little over three years. Oh yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And did you move from New York to California? Yeah, I, we uh, we were living in Brooklyn. Uh, my boyfriend and I and. Um, pug <laughs> and um we took a cross-country trip and moved out to la so i see fun. and you just decided after the weather that you're gonna stay up <laughs> um well the weather's not bad i'll give you that um but for <laughs> for his uh for actually for my boyfriend's um work and industry um this was the better location so we just oh moved. yeah what does he do <laughs> Is he like an actor or something? He, somebody famous? <laughs> um, he is a, a storyboard artist. Oh, really? So he does work in Hollywood. Mm-hmm. Wow. <laughs> kind of. I mean, Disney that's pretty. Artist, that's so. pretty cool. I always think those are really cool storyboards. I don't know what it is. It's just like because I don't know. To me, they're like they're kind of like comic booky, <laughs> mm-hmm. and they do a good <laughs> job of like telling the story and like directing everything. I think it's like a really rad skill to have. Yeah. I can imagine, it's yeah, really, there's more work for that out in oh, L.A. Sorry. Yeah, there's just so much production out here. It was really, um, the industry's really kind of le- you know, just shrinking in New York, so. Oh, really? Um, just made a move. So yeah, he was doing that in New York, too? My great friend. Um, when he was in New York, he worked on Beavis and Butthead and um, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. And, nice. Um, yeah, so um, he was oh. kind of there during the heyday of When did he uh, work for Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles? <laughs> I want to say in the nineties. Anyways, oh, okay. back to you. We're gonna go back to you. <laughs> we what you so what were you doing in uh, New York before this? Um, just professionally, or yeah, sure. Um, I've actually always worked in tech. Um, so I had oh, a yeah? tech job, and I was fortunate that uh, the beauty of the cloud is, um, you can really work from anywhere. Yeah, so that's true. when uh, yeah, um, when we contemplating the move i was um, trying to make sure that i would be able to bring my job with me and i was actually fortunate enough to be able to do that so nice um, yep so what were you doing in the in the tech industry in the tech world um see i don't know if you know uh like C- customer relationship management oh stuff. crm um, crm sure yep. uh salesforce uh i did web design um on the side and nice yeah so I was just always a big techie at heart, so um, <laughs> that's kind of the nice um, fluidity of that of those positions is that you're able to really just do it from anywhere, so it's a great perk. Awesome. Well, that sounds like a lot of fun. So you got to carry that over to California. Were you working for like Microsoft CRM, or was it just like a, another company? I worked for companies that used Salesforce, so I would help them in, implement it or um, administer it. Um, for different companies. Okay. And how'd you get into doing that? Yeah. Just something you were always interested in with tech stuff? Yeah, I'm a, I'm kind of a data dork. I really like it. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I used to do database work years and years ago, and then it was just kind of a natural progression to uh, learn Salesforce and then start okay. working in that. So. Is that like something you studied in college too? You're like mm-hmm. a CS major, computer I, science? 
No, I actually discovered it kind of late. I actually have a fashion degree, fashion design degree. Oh, um, really? Yeah, but I um, I did database work on a on a job after college, and then I just it was a great skill to have, and then yeah, um, I started working with places that used Salesforce, so it was um, just kind of a natural next step. I see. Were you always an East Coaster? Did you uh, grow up in and around New York City, or uh, where'd you grow up at? I grew up in um, the Midwest, in central Illinois, and I did move to Chicago uh, a few years after college, and I was there for about seven years, and then I just decided I wanted to live in New York, and I felt like fashion, and that's kind of where you had to be, so I just kind of up and moved. It's kind of crazy when I think about it now, but <laughs> um, I didn't have a job. I had no clue what I was going to do. Um, I was just like, I should live in New York yet. <laughs> um, but nice. I, you know, yeah. So, um, I mean, I never had to move home, knock on wood. That was always my, my fears that I would have to go back to the Midwest and oh, you know, really? on my mom's couch or something. So, um, fortunately I never had to do that. <laughs> so, oh. um, was that a, a big fear just cause you wanted to escape the Midwest or, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I'd been in Illinois all my life. We grew mm -hmm. up in kind of a very rural area. There was like 900 people maybe. Um, oh wow. Yeah. That's small. Uh, I was the diversity, <laughs> so um, I don't know about now. There might be a few more people, but um, it's not terribly diverse still. It's mm. still pretty small town and rural. And um, and then, yeah, even living in Chicago, is, um, that was fun to be in a bigger city, but it was still like, well, I've just lived in Illinois all my life, so I was just like, you know, I just, I just want to move. So oh, yeah. um, I just left. So. Were you an only child? I have a... Um, brother who's um my adoptive parents biological um so he's older okay uh, and it's just us mm -hmm. so you guys are, it was just you two and your parents yeah it's is, he out, family. is he still out in the midwest he actually moved um to the east coast oh yeah but but like my father and his extended family are pretty much still in the same area oh okay so they all stayed out there and you and your brother were like yeah. we're out yeah <laughs> yeah we were ready to Go to the bright lights, so but <laughs> they're still they're still in the hometown. So, <laughs> so did he end up uh, moving out to New York too? No, he's more in like kind of I want to say like Virginia area. Oh, okay. So, what does um, he do out there? Um, sorry, what does he do? Yeah, oh, yeah. he um he manages a farm actually. So manages kind of funny because we got away. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of funny because we got away from. I thought we got away from country life, and then. No, that's what he does. So, so he moves away <laughs> from a farm to manage ironic. a farm. Yeah. <laughs> right. <clears throat> so but, nice. um, he loves it. So. <laughs> well, I, I bet there's a lot, it sounds like there's a lot of freedom in uh, living out in, in like a farm area, I think. Right. Yeah. I think it's, it's pretty grueling work though. Like it's very unforgiving schedule. Like it's really hard, you know, just have yeah. to do this. like getting time off is really tough and, and things like that. So, mm. um, but yeah, I think he really enjoys it. I, well, he, he wasn't is. doing that for a long time, and then he just started doing it recently. Oh, really? What was he doing before that? I think he just, like, computer work, you know, kind of doing the grind like the rest of us. Oh, yeah. So he, like, but wandered out of that, happy. huh? He got bored yeah, with the, I mean, uh, the tech just, life. Um, I think just, you know, it was a kind of an unpredictable market, job market, mm. and he was just like, you know, um, yeah, I think he wanted to try that. Well, how was it growing up in a rural Chicago <laughs> suburb or rural uh, Illinois. Chicago suburb would have been amazing, but it was rural. <laughs> it was like well, how far away from Chicago miles. were you? 
Oh, it had to be like two, two and a half hours. Oh, okay. So, yeah. So you're a bit out um, there. Yeah. So not far from Cham- or, uh, Champaign-Urbana, uh, kind of around that area. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, there's just not much. <laughs> it's like corn for miles. Um, and I think it was it was challenging for me because I was um, I was the only Asian one. So sure, yeah. Um, and I don't think that you know. Of course, they always tell you like we love you, and you know. Of course, I had an amazing family, and you know they were great. And they, I remember I was talking to my adoptive uncle at some point about. Um, I was saying I'm I'm Asian. He said something like, "No, you're American," and I said, mm. "No, I'm Asian." And um, he was kind of like, "No, <laughs> you're American." <laughs> and um, I knew in a way that it was a compliment, I guess, because they didn't. I guess they don't see that, mm-hmm. and I. I tried to think of it that way. Right. Um, but I was also like, you know, let's not dismiss <laughs> kind of all this, you know, heritage and yeah, yeah. what's come before. So, yeah. um, and it was tough. There was a lot of bullies and it wasn't a real diverse area and school was mm-hmm. tough. And um, it was tough to really talk to parents about or my family about that because sometimes they would even say uh, inappropriate things and just not know it. And yeah. Um, and I was very quiet. My family was very quiet. So, like, nobody really talked about it or addressed it. And it was really frustrating. And mm. um, now I'm just like, you know, I'm always, when I visit, I'm always kind of on guard that <laughs> um, oh, yeah. someone's just going to say something really offensive. But uh, <laughs> luckily it didn't happen last time. But, you know, it's unfortunate because I don't think that they're aware. They, you know, I don't want to just say the family, but just the whole town. Sure, um, yeah. I did go back for a visit recently and... It just, I think now because I've lived in so many big cities mm-hmm. and just have been around diversity, it was really, I just felt so uncomfortable. It wasn't like blatant racism, but it just felt, it just felt really stifling to be there. And I was like, yeah. so excited to leave. I actually took a, um, it was kind of a rural one Midwest trip. I actually saw Holly. Um, I oh, went did home. You? Yeah. Um, nice. I stopped to see Holly and then, um, the next stop was Chicago after home. And I remember just when I hit Chicago, I was like, okay, now I can relax. I can't blame you there. It feels very isolating. Doesn't it? When you go back to some place that's like really rural yeah. and very, uh, homogenous and, and it, it's yeah. hard. Cause it's like, yeah, it's not necessarily overt racism or anything like that, but it, it feels like, uh, there's always eyes on you. I don't want to, you know, disparage my family all cause they're amazing. But, um, I do think like when you are, CAD growing up in that environment there is you know always that racial component that's kind of unspoken um, sure. and is sort of that elephant in the room so um they're great but i just think if you don't ever make people aware that they're saying things like that how do they know you know so, yeah and they you you said that they didn't really you know they were loving and everything but they didn't really address the it didn't sound like they addressed the race issue uh, a whole lot when you were growing up yeah there were times i would try to bring certain things to attention and you know, I would kind of be told, he was dismissive and kind of told, like, you know, what's the big deal or, you know, and mm. you as the one person of color, how do you take, take that? You know, basically, it's not validating your discomfort with or why you're raising awareness about it. And then eventually it just keeps going on. So, right, yeah. um, no, it's hard because I think it's uh, without being, you know, they're not intentionally being mean. I don't think there's any malice behind it, but it's it's mm-hmm. dismissive. Right. Right. So you said uh, you had to deal with a little bit of bullying in school and, and stuff like that? Yeah. I mean, I was the only person of, um, well, non-white anything. So, um, yeah, right. Yeah. And I mean, looking back, I find it really interesting because some of the people that were making fun of my eyes were also 
not white. <laughs> so, oh, um, really? Yeah. And my mom was always like, well, wait, why? Um, he's not white either, but whatever. Um, and I just think that was just, you know, unfortunately, the the environment we were in and yeah. like, people didn't think anything of that. And, and I was, I'm short, I'm really small. And um, yeah, so... I do remember one, one story, um, maybe I shouldn't tell this about my mom, but um, she was like, I said, there's this guy that keeps picking on me and he keeps making fun of my eyes when I see him. And she was like, well, just hit him in the nuts. And I was like, <laughs> and so I was like, okay. I think she thought, um, did you I don't do it? think she probably thought I heard it or took it seriously. Yeah, I totally did it. So he did it again. <laughs> I did it. Um, uh-huh. I didn't really land it, but uh, it felt, it did feel good to do, but she was kind of like, oh, I didn't think you were going to do that. So. I can't believe you followed um, through on it. Good yeah. you. Well, he was so annoying. He deserved it. So, and, um, and he wasn't white himself. That was, that's what was so ironic. So oh, like, man. What? no solidarity. <laughs> yeah. What happened? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. So, yeah. I uh, said, so you, you got a, sounds like you got some swift justice between the legs. <laughs> I wish it had centered a little better, but um, it felt good to do. So, yeah. <laughs> well, that's good. <laughs> so I don't me. condone that anyway. Whoever's listening to this, I don't condone that in any way. You don't, don't con- like, condone yeah, violence? I don't encourage that. So I'm just explaining from my personal experience. So. But, but you'll admit it did feel pretty good. <laughs> but it did feel good. I won't lie. <laughs> that's awesome. Well, I'm sure that wasn't the uh, the last time that you've experienced that kind of treatment with the the eyes or that kind of teasing did you ever uh kick anybody else in the nuts for anything like that <laughs> i didn't do that um but i i do remember my a cousin lived in chicago we went to visit her and she took us to chinatown oh yeah i remember feel i was a teenager i think and i remember feeling really excited that our eyes looked the same even though they weren't korean even though um mm-hmm. it was just exciting to like be around people that had my eyes and I, it wasn't like constantly brought to my attention. Yeah. And she said that she remembers that trip and how like I kind of lit up when that happened. Cause I was in such, I was just coming from such an environment of, you know, zero diversity. Right. So. Right. So what was that like uh, for you going in Chinatown for the first time? I mean, that's good food there. So <laughs> um, it was really fun. Um, I hadn't, you know, we don't travel a lot. Like I, like my father and his family pretty much live very nearby. They all live pretty close to where, he grew up and there's you know that's their choice mm-hmm. and very close-knit and um but you know i was always like anxious to explore and see new things so it was exciting to me to go and kind of experience that cool yeah was that like your first kind of um big trip since being adopted seeing people of the same uh, ethnicity as yourself i don't know if maybe like as um so many i do mm-hmm. rem- i don't remember spending a ton of time with them. But I do remember my mom has told me that there were other like adoptive families um, that were near, but we just never really, I don't remember spending a lot of time with them. I remember just not mm. feeling like there was a lot of people in my family situation kind of around where we were. Mm-hmm. And it was very interesting because people, I mean, the town knew me. It was a very small town. So everyone knew each other. And, yeah. Um, you know, older, some, I was at church or something and this old guy was like talking to me really loud and slow. <laughs> And I'm like, I, yeah, I'm like, I speak English. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. <clears throat> but it was just really funny. And they had to be like, yeah, she understands you. So, <laughs> um, but how you old know, were you when that happened? God, I was young. I had to be probably maybe like six, seven. Mm-hmm. But I just rem- I remember that being really funny. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> wow. And so 
you said your parents, uh, there were other adoptees. Um, I don't know. It doesn't sound like in your immediate community, uh, but I guess yeah. around the same area of the state or the same region. Did you ever uh, interact with any of them? I do remember we went to like a Korean picnic and my mom said that, you know, she would try to, you know, you have to understand this is before, I'm sure it's similar for you and like those of us that came over after the war, like this is before internet and this is before, you know, where you could really just connect with other adoptees. Like we Uh lived in the middle of nowhere and so they may have been out there, but I didn't hang out with them or know of them and my parents didn't know of any. Um, So it was very isolating growing up like that and... Yeah. But she said you would, you know, she would take me to these cream picnics and she would try to give me kimchi and I would just want to eat hot dogs and chips, <laughs> you know? So I was pretty acclimated by then. Um, so she's like, I tried, I tried, but you didn't want to eat any of that. So Yeah, yeah. Well, um, kimchi, you know, it's an acquired taste. It's an acquired it taste. <laughs> it I is. I didn't like kimchi the first time I had it. Yeah. I, I don't think I can blame kids for not wanting to eat <laughs> that, especially if they're not really raised with it. Right. Yeah, I think I'd rather uh, have a hot dog, probably. Yeah, that sounds about <laughs> right. Or a hamburger or something. Although, a hot dog with kimchi is actually pretty good. So it is. It. Have it you is. had the uh, the Chang dog out at uh, Crypt Dogs in New York? I haven't. Oh, you should definitely come back and try that sometime. Oh, okay. Because it is I'll quite good. I'll add it good. to my food list. Yes, yes. The old uh, Chang dog is very good. Oh, okay. Good to know. Yes. So if you come back to New York, uh, definitely go check that out. I'm sure there's there's got to be some uh, Korean hot dog places or something out there in uh, L.A., isn't there? In K-Town, I, there's some experimentation. <clears throat> yeah, there's a ton of, like, kind of fusion-y Korean mm-hmm. tacos, cookie barbecue. You know, virtually has a ton of restaurants out here. So there's a lot of those that pop up. So Sure, there must be something out there. <clears throat> uh Korean hot dog and kimchi. Otherwise, I think, you know, you you might be able to open up a food truck. <laughs> <laughs> I did try my first ramen burger recently. So a, I don't, a ramen burger? How does that even work? Um, the buns are just two, two um, sort of the fried noodles stuck together or the buns. <laughs> <laughs> and then the burgers in between. Really? Yeah. Was it good? Yeah. <laughs> I've literally never heard of that. <laughs> Yeah, I'll have to send you info. Yeah, it was pretty good. So. Well, that's awesome. Where, where was that? Where'd you get that food? <laughs> they have a location in Koreatown, but they were. I was at some Lunar New Year's celebration recently, and they were just there at a stand. Oh, and okay. I was like, okay, I can finally try my ramen burger. So. Nice. Who was running that? Was it like a was it Gogi Barbecue Truck or something like that? Um, there's two uh, ramen burger locations. There's the original and then there's one in like a different location. And oh, I it's think like it was literally called location. Ramen Burger. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's called the original Ramen Burger. Wow. And then there's one called Ramen Burger LA. So maybe it started in New York. I'm not sure. Don't quote me on that. But um, I don't know. Yeah, there's two locations now. I know that. So. Well, I don't. If it's yeah. in a, if it's in New York, I haven't heard of it before. So. Oh, okay. I may have to go look for that. <laughs> well. Like, if you're in L.A., you'll have to have a ramen burger. I haven't been to L.A. Uh, probably since college was the last time I was out there. Oh, uh, okay. So I, I'm sure it's changed a lot uh, since I've been there, which is, uh, oh, God, probably the last time I was out there maybe 11 years ago, 12 years ago. <laughs> mm. Yeah, so it's been a while. I feel like uh, since then, Korean fusion food has really kind of like exploded all over the States. Yeah. We're so, very trendy now. Our food's very trendy now. So. Yeah, there's like a lot of kimchi. <laughs> yeah. And, and yeah. Like, I just uh, came from a restaurant. First of all, they serve what they call sushi burritos, but really they're just giant rolls. 
Oh. <laughs> right. Were they good? It was good, but it was like, oh, oh okay. I couldn't believe how spicy it was because they like slathered gochujang like all over <laughs> this uh, Ooh, salmon, spicy. basically like a salmon roll. Yeah. So I was like sweating in my room. <laughs> right before this conversation and I'm like I should have gotten water I should have gotten water this was a huge mistake <laughs> I'm like got a box of tissues here trying to like wipe my face off <laughs> yeah, was a mess. yeah it was pretty it was pretty hot but I was just like you know and then even there was a down the street there's like this diner and they also like on their chalkboard sign outside was like oh specials today and it was like Korean bulgogi and I was like what like that's a special they serve in diners now yeah well I don't know how good it is <laughs> I mean I even I didn't go in there and try and eat it yeah <laughs> but I was just shocked that that was like that this is a food that w- will be served in some place that would serve like sandwiches and diner food like waffles <laughs> yeah I'm pretty sure you can get a waffle in there as a side of beam up it was, yeah it's just really crazy i was like what is happening this is not the like if i had grown up in this kind of environment i feel like my experience as a child and upbringing probably would have felt a lot different right yeah the explosion mm-hmm. of the korean food scene i think has probably made it a little bit more palatable uh pun not intended um, <laughs> for uh korean american kids growing up now yeah, yeah. I don't know. Maybe not in uh, rural Illinois, but Chicago, I'm sure there's plenty <laughs> of stuff out there, right? Yeah, they're a pretty good foodie town kind of in general. But, yeah, they're um, pretty good out there. Yeah. Um, yeah, I always wonder, too, excuse me, um, if I, because I moved to New York later as an adult, but, mm-hmm. you know, I really loved kind of the diversity of it and all the different mix of cultures. And, yeah, I often wonder, too, like, what would it have been like if I'd grown up here and not, you know out sure. by the corn so yeah <laughs> yeah well i mean your story is not uh, a unique one in that you know i feel like there are a lot of especially prior to the internet coming online a lot of mm-hmm. uh adoptees that ended up in the midwest for one reason or another and they were the only yeah. minority in that community mm-hmm. and i'm just yeah. like i don't like uh you know did you ever ask your parents what possessed them to adopt uh, a, a child from korea I didn't, um, but I do remember my mom being very positive always about it and saying, mm-hmm. you know, you're special because you were chosen. And um, I never felt like, you know, less than uh, about any of it. And I always appreciated that about, you know, how they would relay the story to me. So, mm-hmm. How would they relay the story to you? I'm just sad that, you know, I was chosen. It wasn't... Um, I do think they wanted a girl for sure, and because oh, yeah. they already had a boy. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not sure what the motivation was to uh, get one in Korea, I guess. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> I'm like, how do I say this? Um, <clears throat> but yeah, I just remember my my parents always kind of making it, framing it that way, yeah. but feeling really appreciative of that as I grew up, because I know a lot of families don't always have c- kind of a positive spin to mm why they adopted you or just your adoption story. So um, I've always appreciated that about my family and how they, you know, explain how I came, came to be in the family. And who were you uh, adopted through? I was adopted through Holt. Okay. Do you think it was a, uh, like your parents, it was like a church thing where they got the inspiration? I'm not sure. I, I know that they did it through like a social services place mm-hmm. in kind of in Illinois that wasn't Holt. I think that was maybe the kind of, 
go between um, to hold. So mm. I have like as I've gotten older and found just some pictures um, of being younger and stuff, I see, you know, us at that building and, you know, they've shown me pictures of when I arrived. And the really interesting thing is um, when we were looking, just going through stuff, um, apparently a stewardess on the plane that brought me over, there were several of us adoptees that were coming over. Mm -hmm. um, She took pictures of us on the plane. So she had actually sent those to my mom and it said, you know, please just let me know about her from time to time. And Aww. I always, yeah, and I always just found that really fascinating because most adoptees I meet don't have pictures until they, like, get off that plane. Yeah, I don't. Um, <laughs> yeah. So it was really interesting to me that I have some, like, while I was still on the plane and also when I got off the plane. Wow, yeah, that's a, that's a rarity. <laughs> yeah. How old were you when you were adopted? Um, I came over when I was three and a half. Years old? Yes. Oh, okay. Do you have any, like, early memories of Korea? I don't. It's really... I know some people... I know a lot of cats say they, you know, flashbacks and memories pop up. Uh-huh. And, um, but I really don't. Um, I don't know if... Because I've, I've been to Korea recently and nothing came back either. So, mm. But I really, truly have just forgotten it. And it's kind of sad to me because I know when I came, I spoke. That's all I spoke. And Oh, yeah. My family would always say, oh, you know, you cried so much. And I mean, look, I was a kid and then sure. looking back now as an adult. And when they explain that, story, I'm like, you understand, I was probably scared. <laughs> yeah. Shitless. I didn't know, like, you know, who you were. I didn't speak the language. Right. Um, of course, we're like scared. <laughs> yeah, it's traumatic, I um, bet. But, yeah. <laughs> you know, I guess now as yeah. an adult, if you don't like really remember that, I mean, uh, do you feel like that some of that was internalized and even though you don't really have any conscious reach back into those memories or do you feel like, you know, like your earliest memories are as an American? I feel like the latter where they're just uh, my earliest memories are as an American, yeah. which is sad to me. I kind of wish that I could remember something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I feel like when I was growing up, I had like fake memories of Korea because I was only three months old when I came over. So clearly I have no memories or like any Uh, real uh, tangential memories. But uh, I feel like as a kid, I would like, I don't know if it was just my imagination about like what Korea was like and everything like that. Yeah. But they felt like memories. Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, And that's super super young young. to come over. Exactly. (laughs) I feel like that year because I was uh, born and adopted in 85, you know, that was like the height of like the Korean adoption. Uh, I don't know. It was like the pinnacle of, of the year of adoptions. Mm. So there were like the most placements. Then yeah. I think like maybe three months was that year, like the average or something like that from birth to wow. placement, which is really crazy. That's crazy. Yeah. Anyways. Uh, so three and a half. And where were you? Uh, where were you born? I was born in Seoul. So uh, you said you just recently went to uh, Korea. I did. Actually, uh, our friend Holly McGinnis was mm-hmm. there studying for her, uh, researching for her PhD. Yep. And we had always, I had always said um, that I would like to go visit Korea. And, um, oh, I should just preface this with, I did go to Korea, actually, in, when I was in high school. My, um, oh, really? Yeah, my father, my adopted father and um, his wife 
went with me and they're, you know, they're from a small town. Um, <laughs> they weren't terribly like interested to explore a lot of the local stuff. Like, you know, I love my dad, but he wanted to go to like McDonald's and Denny's and stuff. So, like, <laughs> awesome. Like, yeah, we came all the way here to go to. <laughs> Did he at least get like a bulgogi um, burger when he went to McDonald's? Yeah, I was like, I mean, do we really just fly all this way to like get McDonald's? But, you know, um, you know, and they wanted to, I found out later, um, I remember not even thinking about my family stuff. I wasn't, it wasn't even on my mind. I wasn't conscious of it. Mm. Uh, years later, my father had said, I, I feel bad. I feel like we should have gone to maybe your orphanage or something like that on that trip. Oh. And, um, looking back one, I don't think I was even ready for that back then because sure, I wasn't yeah. thinking about it. So I was like, no, it's fine. Um, but I remember thinking at some point as an adult, I want to come back to Korea and actually see Korea. Yeah. And um, so when Holly was going to be there, she said, you know, why don't you just visit when I'm there? And um, so we were able to um, schedule that for when she was there. And we had um, and just so you know, I've had uh, maybe about 10 years ago, I feel like it's been almost like that long. Um, I had just sort of on a whim started to search for my birth parents oh, and yeah? I was just kind of like, you know, you never know, you know, let's sure, see what yeah. happens. Mm-hmm. Um, I totally forgot all about it. <laughs> and then about a year later, um, I think around 2005 ish, uh, they called me and they're like, we found, um, your father. And oh, I was wow. like, Oh, um, and so we had corresponded, you know, they were sending letters. They kind of explained, you know, the, my backstory about why he did it. And, you know, I was older, I was three and a half. So, mm-hmm. I can't imagine that was easy. Um, yeah. And, but it, we were kind of writing back and forth. He was pretty frail. He wasn't um, in great health. Mm. And so last I heard, he was in a hospice. Um, and so I frankly didn't really think he probably was still alive. And then we kind of just lost touch. It hit a point where it was like, if I was really going to um, explore it further, I think I'd either have to be there or... I just didn't know the language with the time difference. It was really hard to get someone to help translate for me. So I kind of hit a bit of a wall with it for a few years and kind of just put it on the shelf. Mm. And then when I went to visit Holly, she had said, you know, do you want to do anything about your family while you're here? And I just felt like, you know, I don't put any pressure on myself. I'm just going to take this trip. I know I want to see Korea, enjoy Korea, um, you know, but I don't want to, you know, put too much expectation on anything. And Mm -hmm. I was like, you know, that's that's kind of my biggest goal when I go, and then we'll see. So she had suggested maybe we go to Holt and just kind of ask them to look at your file or something like that. Yeah. And it's about halfway through the trip. I was there for almost two weeks. And then mm. uh, when we got to Holt, um, I frankly didn't think he was probably still alive because last I heard he was in hospice. That was years ago, and I knew he was really frail. And then I yeah. kind of lost track of him. I didn't have his address anymore. And the Holt uh, Adoption Services um, contact was like, oh, by the way, he's... Um, in a hospital, like outside of Seoul. Oh, wow. And yeah. And I was like, wait, what? (laughs) Um, and then it just seemed like it would be so such a missed opportunity to not go. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it just changed the whole course of the trip. I was like, Oh, okay. (laughs) So sure. Yeah. It's um, a trajectory change for sure. Yeah. So did, uh, Holly end up going to the hospital with you or did you do that by yourself? Yeah, no, I knew that, um, I knew one, if I did anything family related, I would have her there for emotional support and just yeah. having gone through it before and mm-hmm. just really kind of helping me navigate it, language, just all of it. And sure. But even we were like, you know, our Korean is not great. She's like, we need a translator. Yeah. Um, yeah. We were scrambling kind of to find one 
and it was really tough. Uh, we didn't hear anything for like a few days and then I was about to go home and I was like, mm. you know, I hope we're, you know, I hope we don't miss this opportunity. And like, honestly, the day before he's about to leave, they were like, we found one. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> I'm who, like, all who, right. Uh, found it for you, Holt? Um, Incas. Oh, okay. Yeah. Cause actually that's, that's my one regret about not really planning for it because Holt probably could have done it if I had told them I was coming and what mm-hmm. my intention was. But since I was so like, I'm just going to be open. Um, sure, yeah, I didn't but, really prepare for it. Yeah. Well, you had no idea that, you know, he was still right. alive and right outside of soul. Right. Right. So, you know, right. how are you going to plan for that when you're going yeah. with the assumption that uh, he had already passed? Yeah. It was just a weird sort of, um, it was exciting because I never had a reunion. Like we corresponded a lot and right, yeah. I, and just finding him and just kind of hearing my, you know, some of my story that was helpful. But there's a lot of questions that, you know, for every question, and I'm sure, you know, as a cat for every question, um, you get answered like 10 more questions <laughs> Yeah, of come course. up and, and you just never have all the answers. And I had to hit a point with it where I had to be okay with that. Um, mm-hmm. Like I, I don't have any information on my mother. I ask about her all the time and I don't, and I'm probably never going to get that answer. And I kind of just stopped yeah. asking. It's just one of those things where I'm like, you know, I just learned to accept what I do know um, and what I have found out because Holly was, you know, great about saying, you know, keep in mind you found much more than a lot of adoptees have. Yeah. And yeah. So, so how was, uh, how was that reunion? Do you mind talking about that? Sure. I think, um, I remember before we went, she had said to me, think about what you want to ask him. And I knew he was pretty frail and I don't think he was going to be able to communicate real well. Mm. And I knew that. And then there were always questions. Uh, I feel like I'd gotten the questions kind of answered over the years. Really. The only question was about my mother, but I knew I probably wasn't going to get that answer. Uh And I remember that, I mean, my very first reaction when I heard that uh, he was nearby, I just automatically asked what about my mother. And then I was like, Oh yeah, like I'm not gonna get that answer. And then I, I realized too that, um, I don't want to be so focused on what I didn't find yeah. and not be grateful for what I did because he was there and yeah, we yeah. did know that we could see him. So um, <clears throat> we went and um, it's really funny because the translator that went with this is, you know, very kind of stiff Korean guy. <laughs> um, <laughs> I remember when the trip started, you know, how he was taking pictures just kind of on the way. And I was like, oh, my God. But like looking back now, I'm so glad that she took all those pictures. And, yeah. you know, it's just such a. I just think it, it's got to be so interesting for the translator because Holly's kind of gone through it as a CAD mm-hmm. um, and she's had her own journey. She's yeah. a really close friend of mine and she knows about my journey. So she and she gets that and we're close. But here here's this translator that just doesn't know you from a canopy. <laughs> and yeah, he's sure. kind of put in this really emotional situation. And I'm just like, God, it must be so what's going through your head right now? I just thought that was really interesting for him. And he was just kind of a stoic, you know, <laughs> Korean guy. And I remember when we started, he was, you know, we were taking pictures and we we're kind of like, you know, fun Americans and putting arms around him. He was kind of like really stiff and kind of <laughs> had his hands to his side. And then by the end of the trip, um, it was just super emotional. And then by the end of the yeah, trip, of I was crying and um, I just felt his like, kind of hand pat my back and so he kind of loosened up over <laughs> that was over his one human contact yeah. That he had. <laughs> yeah but um i mean he was a huge help and i do i remember when we went in it is so weird i don't know have you sorry i didn't even ask have you had reunion uh, i have not no okay. my birthday's um, never went very far oh <laughs> uh, okay yeah um it is really interesting because it's essentially a stranger and you go in and you know but they're family sort of you know but mm-hmm. it is really a stranger. And I remember when we looked at each other, I just, 
I remember realizing, I think I have his cheekbones. And I just started, mm. that's when I was pretty like unemotional going in. It was just kind of an awkward situation, you know, the yeah. initial encounter. Um, but that sort of just like something triggered then. And I just started crying because I never had anyone that looked like me growing yeah, up. Yeah, yeah. And so that was really powerful to me. And then they kept saying to him like, you know, in Korean, they were trying to say, this is your daughter. And I don't know how much of that registered. Mm-hmm. Um, but the nurses that were talking in Korean, they're like, I think he gets it. And I just like to tell myself that he, he did get who I was. Yeah. And Holly had said too, like, do you have a baby picture? And, um, it didn't even occur to me to take one because <laughs> I was like, dang, I should have brought one <laughs> because he's probably like, who are these people? <laughs> so, um, but when I got back home, I actually sent him one of like, we took pictures there oh, and okay. I actually sent a picture of me as a um, child. And then also me with him. There were some that we took of me by his bed yeah. in Korea. And I kind of just did a little collage of that and sent it after um, I got back. Oh, well, I'm sure he appreciated that. Yeah. I hope, I just hope he gets, I don't know how much of it is actually registering for him, but mm-hmm. um, I hope he got it. And I like to tell myself that he did, but yeah. um he eventually was just tired and fell asleep and I just kind of mm. held his hand and yeah. um, I didn't really have anything to ask him. I just remembered feeling, um, I just wanted to say thank you. Um, yeah. And that was really all I had to say. So. Well, that's great that you got that opportunity. Cause I mean, uh, yeah, like Holly said, that's, that's even a lot more than a lot of adoptees do get. I mean, even mm-hmm. if it was a, a very short visit, um, and something that obviously, you know, you couldn't, e- I don't think you could even plan for that. So I wouldn't feel bad about not bringing baby pictures yeah. or, <laughs> right. or looking yeah. for a translator. Cause it's not something that you can plan for really. Right. Unless yeah. you're going there with that specific purpose. And, uh, right. it doesn't sound like, you know, you, you were doing that for that specific purpose. It was more like, let's go explore Korea, uh, mm-hmm. and, and the country that you were from mm-hmm. and, and also visit Holly. Yeah. <laughs> How do Which you is know? always fun. Yeah, exactly. I love. I, I miss Holly. <laughs> well, she'll be coming out to New York, I think, in April, though. So I'll, I'll, oh, I'll awesome. get to see her. I hope for the twentieth anniversary. Oh, good. So, how do you know Holly? So the the funny thing is, when I actually started my search, I think one of the very first articles I read um, was written by Holly. Uh-huh. Uh, some, something like ten things to ask yourself before you start searching, yeah. and it was a really great sort of realistic view of what you know what you should be asking yourself for why mm-hmm. you're doing it and things yeah. like that. Um, cause I think we go into it very excited and kind of naive and, <laughs> sure. um, yeah. And she wrote that article and, um, it's, it had her, I remember had her email at the bottom and when mm-hmm. I wrote it, that, um, wasn't her email apparently. <laughs> um, so <laughs> I tracked her down through somebody, I think at AKA and then yeah. they gave me, <laughs> they gave me her email. Um, and then, when I moved to New York, that's where she lived. And so it was funny because we corresponded for years and years and years. Yeah, yeah. And um, and I remember, like, you know, it was really, we were initially sort of drawn through the CAD connection. Mm-hmm. Um, and because I was still living in Chicago at the time. And I remember at one point she was like, you know, you don't just have to call me for adoptee stuff, right? And I was like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then when we moved, when I moved to New York, she was there. So that was really fun to actually, you know, meet her in person. And then yeah. we just became really... She's one of my, you know, very close friends. So, like, my big sister. <laughs> yeah, she's awesome. So, yeah. <laughs> well, that's great. And then, uh, so, you came back from Korea. Did you feel like you had to decompress at all? What was it like on the on the way back, kind of on the way down from that high? <laughs> I think um, 
I kind of wish I did. I think that people don't get fur adoptees because I've a lot of them tell me this. Like Korea to us is not. People say, "Oh, you're on vacation." <laughs> Korea oh, to us yeah. is not vacation. It's really emotional, and right. especially having the reunion. And I had a very uh, demanding job at the time, and I came back. Um, you know, just kind of went straight back to work. Uh, mm-hmm. No break. Didn't really process any of it. Um, so just to give you a sense of the timeline, I went to Korea probably in spring, maybe like March or April. Um, that's a I good time back. to go weather wise. Yeah. yeah. That's kind of when she encouraged me to go. Yeah. Um, I came back and just went straight back to work like zero break. I don't Oof. think I processed the reunion at all. Oh, God. Um, and I was just working crazy, crazy hours. And, um, about like June, I was unexpectedly let go and, oh, um, I was about to turn 40 in August. Uh-huh. And, um, so I was like, oh, kind of like June, I turned 40 in August. I'm like, oh, what am I going to do with my life? And then, um, in September, I was diagnosed with uh, breast cancer. So um, it, was a, it was a doozy of a year. Yeah, that sounds like a, like a pretty rough year. Yeah. <laughs> just a lot. Of, that sounds very, I mean, that's just, I don't know how you survived emotionally. Just that sounds so taxing. <laughs> like all of that, all that. Like it seems like it's like yeah. not even a one-two punch. It's like a one-two punch and then a haymaker. Yeah. It's like a bomb that just kept exploding. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. geez. It's like where did the landmines end? Yeah. Oh, boy. Exactly. So, <laughs> yikes. Uh, so you were diagnosed with cancer. Mm-hmm. You had to process all that at the same time, basically. Yeah, I still don't think I quite processed Korea till recently because mm. once you, uh, once you like get into cancer treatment, I have to say like it's like a train that just like takes off, and yeah. you have zero time to really um, think about anything. I remember meeting my oncologist on the first day of because um, I was diagnosed over the. By the way, they told me over the phone, so that was amazing. <laughs> Um, really? They didn't like and, call you yeah. in to no. <laughs> have you sit down and take the news? No, no. Not, not yeah. like the movies, huh? Yeah, that would have been amazing. But no, they told me over the phone, so that was awesome. So they just what, <laughs> called you up out of yeah. blue and was like, oh, by the way. Yeah. I had had a, a biopsy and they had said, you know, like, it's going to be a couple of days. We'll see. Um, make an appointment with your doctor. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'd done it like right before the weekend. And so I was going to talk to my doctor, I think Monday or something. And then Friday... Um, I got a message from my doctor. Of course, I was asleep. And he was like, you know, just um, call me when you get this. I'm like, what? So um, <laughs> I called back and I didn't get him. And I'm like, oh, my God. And my boyfriend was actually home at the time, but he had to run out for something. And uh-huh. I just couldn't take it anymore. And when I called, I called right after he left. And, of course, that's when I got the doctor. So nobody was there oh, <laughs> when um, he was like uh, – are you sitting down or are you somewhere quiet? I think is what he said. And right then I was like, Oh shit. So <laughs> I'm like, this isn't good. And, um, and he was like, yeah, you know, it, it was cancerous. I'm like, Oh great. So, um, and then we had to meet my, we met my oncologist kind of the first day. I remember ironically, it was the first day of breast cancer awareness month, which is October. And, um, she was like, I need you in chemo like next week. And then it's just like, go, 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 go from there. Yeah. Did they at least catch it pretty early on? Um, it was a, um, I'll be honest, it was a pretty sizable tumor by the time I definitely felt something, but by the time we were able to actually get in to like get it examined and there were a few tests that went on before they actually confirmed it. Um, it had grown quite a bit. So that was really concerning me. So I was like, uh, it's not shrinking. Um, Mm -hmm. so 
yeah, and then by the time they finally caught it, it was, um, you know, it's so funny because you just don't know. I call it cancer land because you just don't know all these things. I remember the first person I talked to was like, what type of breast cancer do you have? And I'm like, there's more than one. There is. <laughs> so, there, see, I don't know. There's more yeah, than one. There's more yeah, than one? There is. Um, and I have one that's um, – so I have triple negative. And just as a side note, tomorrow is actually triple negative breast cancer day um, because it's March 3rd. And oh, okay. So um, yeah, I am – That makes sense. Mm-hmm. Sorry, this is probably more information than you want to know. <laughs> no, yeah. I, well, I yeah. look, I'm completely uneducated in this, so like, uh-huh. you um, you can educate me and and the oh. listeners, I'm sure, because I don't know what uh what I don't even, what does triple negative even mean. So, um, let me just preface this with I'm not a breast cancer expert at all, but <laughs> I'm happy to talk about my experience. So, um, I hope I get this right. Okay. Um, so cancer, uh, breast cancer, um, has like three receptors: uh, estrogen progesterone, and HER2 new. And so triple negative is when um, the breast cancer does not express the gene for any of those receptors. So it makes it really hard to treat because you can't target it. Um, So like, you know, sometimes people say, oh, I have like HER2 new, estrogen positive. You know, there's all these kind of different combos. Uh, Yeah, like who knew, right? (laughs) I was like, what? (laughs) Um, And yeah, it's kind of ironic that tomorrow's uh, triple negative day. So um, we have... Some some breast cancers you're able to kind of have targeted therapies after like sometimes you're on like a pill maybe for like a year or you're on something for like five years uh-huh. um, like I the type I have um, since nothing can be targeted I don't get to do any of that so it's a little scary because yeah. it's just um, and I know there was a study recently uh, specifically for triple negative patients that said our level of anxiety is much higher after treatment because there aren't sort of these. Uh, ongoing therapies that we yeah. can do yeah. um unlike the rest of the community so yeah so now it's like i remember when i went to my first oncologist appointment kind of after all this treatment so just mm-hmm. so you know i had chemo for a few months and then i had a surgery and then i had uh radiation and then i had another surgery and that all ended it started up we met the oncologist october 1 in 2014 uh-huh. and i had my final surgery kind of the end of october in 2015 so it was over a year that was pretty recent then yeah yep Wow. So. That sounds like a pretty long battle, but uh it sounds like you came out came out ahead. Yeah. yeah, I think that it's interesting now because and I kind of um equate this to some of the adoptee stuff because you know we always sort of have identity issues and, yeah. <laughs> um you know things like that, but I, I do feel I had a bit of one after cancer because it was like wow, I just had cancer for like a year. Like that was technically my job and yeah. I had to get to a place where I was like, what do I do with my life now? Because um, that's all I had to focus on and just getting well. And that's what I did for over a year. And now that, you know, the new year has hit and now that the, tr- the active treatment's over, um, even I'm trying to figure out, like, you know, people have this perception, I think, that once you're done with active treatment, you're, like, done and life goes back to normal. Um, but it's actually quite uh, scary coming out of treatment because yeah. we're not being monitored. We're not going to the doctor. We don't know if something's come back. Um, sure. It's constant anxiety. And I feel like a lot of people don't want to talk about it or hear about it. And um, I started a blog where I try, I just tried to be really honest. I always told myself if I was going to blog about my experience, I would be really honest about it. And Sure. Yeah, I, I think you owe it to yourself to do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I find a lot of people post-treatment were um, – having a lot of the same concerns and issues. A lot of us are just really anxious, um, depression, anxiety. We're, you know, we're scared of recurrence. Um, but nobody 
is really talking about it or wants to hear like post-treatment is actually one of the hardest stages and kind of how do you navigate that and yeah what's the next step yeah oh sorry go ahead what's the next step after uh your i don't know cure because you know do you even know is it like or is that the end and that's where the anxiety comes in um i think once you have it you just you're kind of always concerned it's going to come back yeah so i mean it's just you know it's an it's an anxiety you'll always have um like once you go through that treatment, you know, of course you're going to be concerned. So now like every ache and pain, um, I kind of freak out. I'm like, Oh God, <laughs> like, yeah. why do I have a headache? Um, of course it's probably just a headache and that's, you know, it's fine, but that added sort of shadow of anxiety that's just constantly over you as a cancer survivor, I think yeah. just adds to that, um, anxiety and stress. And it turns you into like the ultimate hypochondriac. <laughs> yeah. And you know, I got a headache the other day, and my friend was like, can you take a Tylenol? And I was like, I mean, I'm sure I could, but, like, how do you know it's not a tumor, you know? Because like, um, <laughs> that's, like, where your mind goes. Um, yeah, yeah. so freaked out. And, I mean, maybe it gets easier as you get further out, but I think it's also not – it's truly really not that far since I finished. And, yeah. Um, I will say, though, that I was actually declared um, – I had a really good response to surgery and the radiation was kind of just to make sure they got everything, uh-huh. but I'm, I'm actually cancer free. So I had oh, an amazing outcome. Congratulations. Thank you. So yeah, now it's like, what is, you know, I had that kind of doozy of a year <laughs> of all yeah. that stuff that happened in Korea and then, um, which I think I've only just processed recently. And uh-huh. one of the really, um, added complexities I had to deal with as an adoptee going through cancer is not having my medical history. And that's like the first yeah. thing anyone asks you in any appointment. And of course. what do you do and how do you make informed medical decisions and very, uh, you know, important life-saving decisions when you don't have very key information. And it, that was a frustrating part as an adoptee. Um, well, how just did not you have access to that? Um, I just, I just didn't have it, you know. Um, I do remember asking, I asked Holt, since they were, you know, still in touch with my father's hospital. I did ask them, you know, can you ask if there's a history in his family? Uh-huh. And they were a little, you know, um, okay, but you may not get an answer. You know, they were a little um, reluctant about yeah. it. And it kind of warned me that it might not be the easiest to get that information. And yeah. If, if he did, like, they may not be forthcoming about that. And, you know, it could be also seen something's wrong with him, um, mm-hmm. you know, which is unfortunate. And, I mean, I, I get it just in terms of privacy laws. I get that wasn't going to be the easiest. But sure. I remember getting really frustrated about that and feeling like, this is my information. You know, like, yeah, <laughs> I know that yeah. <clears throat> um, I get what you're saying. And I get I may not get the answers, but I need you to at least ask. And um, they did. and And they kind of, that's, you know the outcome was pretty much what I expected. It wasn't, they weren't very forthcoming about it. Even mm-hmm. if he does, I don't know that they would tell us. Um, so it was kind of a futile, but I'm glad I asked if I hadn't at least asked, I think I would always be bothered about that. Well, that's a good but, question. Like, cause, uh, it, it, you know, if you are diagnosed with some disease and you do happen to have contact, uh, even through an intermediary, you know, are, are things like, a HIPAA or whatever the Korean equivalent is or their sensitivities, mm-hmm. you know, how do you right. obtain that information? Are there laws against that? Because, you know, you're, you're only family by, by blood, but you know, you're, you mm-hmm. haven't lived uh, together and you don't have the same citizenship. So how does, you know, right. how does that work? I'm not as, expecting you to have a, a, an answer legally, but you know, that's a good question. Yeah. 
I was, you know, Korea is very proud. You know, I think they were, they also warned me like if he does have it, it could be seen as something shameful. So he may not be open about that. Um, right. And so, you know, I kind of knew, and that's kind of the answers I've always gotten through my whole adoption search and asking about my mother. There was always, um, just sort of those roadblocks I would hit and kind of like, you know, you can ask, but you know, but you should always still ask. And I always did. I just never always got the answers, but I have also kind of accepted that. So, so what are the, uh, the next steps after, after you're, you're cancer free, you're declared cancer free. Uh, and so you started a blog, um, and what is the blog called? The blog is called survivormoda.com. And during chemo, I actually, had bought a wig actually <laughs> in preparation and um that was a really hard night when i actually had my boyfriend shave it it was a really tough night um yeah. and i don't know something about the wig just never felt quite right to me i felt mm. um it didn't feel natural and you know it's really hot out here it's kind of itchy um you should have moved and, to new york is it <laughs> <laughs> would have kept my head warm um, yeah. <laughs> um but i i just never i never used it and then i actually yeah. kind of um had some fun with scarves and, you know, I was like, Oh, I have this fashion background. May as well like, you know, run with it and have fun with it. So I, I did that. And then I thought, you know, it'd be great to, I mean, I know during chemo, like the last thing you want to be is stylish or care about that. Um, but I also felt it helped give, give you a little bit of a confidence boost. And I mean, honestly, in all the chemo rooms I went to support groups, I went to, there was like, nobody was my age. Like, uh, Mm. chemo, everyone was like, um, had, gray hair and it was very tough to relate to to that and then I would go to support groups and they would have the breast cancer group would be a lot of older women um Mm -hmm. very sweet um but then like I'd go to the young adult group and the young adults nobody would have breast cancer so I was kind of in this weird um I said cancer crack (laughs) so um I think there's you know an interesting place because even the young adult stuff they kind of cut that off at like 39 40 and now I'm like 40 yeah, like 41. So huh. I'll go to things and I'm like, wait, am I too old to be here? <laughs> and they're like, oh, no, it's fine. But, You're in like um, this weird yeah. no man's land yeah. of cancer. <laughs> I'm like, wait, what? Yeah, so I always felt that the there's a – unfortunately, when I was going to – I actually had a, a port put in my arm and I had to keep having it flushed after chemo. Even though chemo was over, I would have to keep visiting every month to get it cleaned out. Lately, as I've been going in there, I was starting to see younger girls. And that um, um, is just really, you know, heartbreaking to see yeah. that. How young are they? Um, um, oh, gosh. I think they had to be in their late 20s. Oh, and God. And some of them were just like, I mean, I give it to them because I never went completely bald during all that. Um, mm-hmm. I was very, like, cautious about covering my head in some way. And a lot of them are just like, they're just bald and like they have it out and they're like, whatever. So I'm like, good for you. Yeah. I mean, at that point, right. That's yeah. At some point you gotta be like, <laughs> fuck it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that's what I would be like. I don't know. I, I, I obviously I've, uh, as far as I'm aware, don't have cancer. Uh, right. Um, now you're making me think I'm a hypochondriac and I'm like, Oh God. Yeah. I did have that headache <laughs> the other day. <laughs> yeah. It's, at some point, yeah, you know, does your life uh, view, does your perspective change where you're just like, you know, this is this is the one life I got, and uh, if I'm going to be bald, I'm going to be bald, like, whatever. <laughs> right. I feel after cancer, it's, I remember when I um, first started, uh, when I just found out I was diagnosed, I was in such shock, and 
um, you know, people were putting me in touch with people to talk to. Mm-hmm. And there was one girl I talked to that's, that was like, you know, what kind do you have? I'm like, what are you talking about? <laughs> um, but I remember she said to me, you know, like, I know you don't see it now, but cancer is a gift. And I was like, what the hell is she talking about? <laughs> and um, <clears throat> because it didn't seem like it at the time. And of it just course, seems so it? like doom and gloom. Yeah. I mean, the diagnosis is so uh, hard to absorb. And um, yeah, nobody tells me I... to uh, sit down on the phone <laughs> in a quiet place to give yeah. you a gift. <laughs> exactly. I do get I feel like now that I'm on this side of it, because it was so hard to get that because I've been like going from I've been sort of shuttling from one treatment phase to the next and then. Yeah. Right when one ends, you got to get ready for the next one. And you really don't have time to think about it. And mm-hmm. there was a bit of a lull between my radiation and my final surgery. And I feel like that's when it really hit me. Like, oh, yeah, I had cancer. Um, and I know that <laughs> yeah. sounds weird, but, like, you're so busy during treatment. Um, sure. And you're just in warrior mode and you're trying to get through it. You're just like, go, 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 go. Uh-huh. And um, But I don't, you know, um, I know, like, pictures online, you know, everyone's you know, rah, rah, and ribbons, but I always try to, you know, be honest with people too. Like not every day is like that. Um, you know, some days are really hard and I don't want to be like, it's not positive, but at the same time, you know, you do want to be honest about the journey and being on the other side of it. And even if you're cancer free, there's still days that are really hard and there's still a lot of concerns about it. And of um, course, yeah. So, so it, it sounds like, uh, it's, even more isolating after you declared cancer free. Are there yeah. any like support <clears throat> groups for being cancer free? Like you've already had cancer other than, you know, the breast cancer awareness month and everybody's doing walks mm-hmm. and putting up the pink ribbons and everything like that. I mean, right. is, are, are there regular meetings or are there support groups or is it just, you know, it's, it's just you're on your own. Yeah. I think when, you know, everything started, um, I, I called it cancer land in some blog posts because it is like you're just in this whole new country. <laughs> you don't know the language. You don't know. Um, there's all these new people. Of course, they're welcoming. Um, and there's people to help you, which is great. But mm-hmm. you just it's you're just thrust in this whole new, you know, cancer community that you just knew nothing about. I mean, I knew cancer didn't sound good. I knew if I had it, that yeah. was bad. That's about all I knew. Sure. Um, but yeah, just all the sort of particulars of everything. And I taped a lot of my conversations because it's really hard to take notes. Uh, and I just wanted to remember. So um, chemo also gives you a bit of um, memory issues. You get this thing called chemo brain. So I'm still kind of suffering from that. Um, I forget a lot of stuff. And so I recorded a lot of my appointments, um, mm. which I'm really glad because there's so much information and it's so hard to take notes. Yeah. And that very first oncologist visit, I didn't understand a thing she was saying, like the type I had, the, um, you know, she yeah. was like, you know, chemo can also shut down um, your reproductive organs. So it's like, you know, if you want children, I remember her saying, like, if you want children, you need to see someone like right now. Um, and wow. it's like, I have to say that like right now. <laughs> um, right. And yeah, and it's just like, it just feels like yet another thing you have to do. <laughs> and it's just like, you know, you're just sort of pushed into it. But I, I'm finding now that I'm on this side of it, I'm finding other survivors that um, that's the great thing. It's like it's such a huge community and I'm finding other survivors that are a little further out and just really helpful. And I find that's the biggest thing is they're all there to reach back. And now that I'm on the other side of it, I feel like I can reach back. I remember during the treatment, I just felt like there's no way I can help anyone right now. Like I'm just too sort of stuck in my own cancer and I didn't mm-hmm. feel like I could really be helpful or of assistance to anyone. 
I went to a breast cancer group and there was someone in there very young and we were the only ones that had breast cancer. And I just recognized that look on her face. She was just diagnosed. She was just about to start chemo and she just looked petrified. Yeah. <laughs> and <clears throat> I just felt like, I don't know much, but I, I was like probably a few months into chemo by then. So I was like, I don't know much, but I know chemo. So, um, I just offered, you know, my number to her and I said, if you need to talk about anything, just let me know. And it, you know, it amazed me that I was actually able to like think outside my own cancer at that point in time, because I didn't think I was capable of that. Once, you know, you start reaching back and start like, you know, leaning on each other, you just want to help each other through it. And so then that's when I was like, you know what, I'm just going to start this blog. And, you know, I hope it's a very honest uh, depiction of just navigating cancer as a young, just as a young adult and um, as breast cancer, because I don't feel like you hear much about the young adults. I think it's a lot of it's very geared towards kind of, um, you know, an older demographic. Sure. There are, unfortunately, a lot of younger people getting it. Yeah. Yeah. That's, I mean, do you feel uh, like in reaching back to help this young woman, uh, kind of navigate the waters of chemo and, and her breast cancer experience. You were also kind of therapizing yourself as well. Yeah, I found I found what helped me was helping others. Like I didn't think I was capable of that until I was kind of at the finish line. Yeah. But I found as I was going through it, it actually helped me to be there because it also takes you out of your own situation for a little bit. Sure. And, you know, it is such a, it's a very unique situation. Like, of course, your friends, you know, will listen, but it is, you know, like there's an understanding that only another cancer survivor is really going to have about some of it. And, um, you know, we just, that support within the community is so amazing. So, yeah. Yeah. Obviously I can only, uh, imagine, you know, I've again, you know, never had cancer. I've unfortunately had to, uh, I think yeah, as most people I would imagine have had to live, uh, through having a family member or friend that has had mm-hmm. cancer. And so, you know, it's it's hard, and obviously I, I can't put myself in your shoes, but I can imagine that helping somebody else or having somebody else help you does – it that kind of support is, is only helpful, right? Uh, yeah. and, and in a way that somebody who's either uh, had cancer or is just starting to go through it now can only uh, really help in a certain way that family yeah. and friends can't. <clears throat> yeah, there was a really interesting moment to me as an adoptee. I was with a family member, um, an adoptive family member, at a seminar about cancer and genetics. Mm-hmm. And they knew that they had a history of cancer within the family. Huh. And um, I, and here I am like, I wish I knew. <laughs> um, yeah. And it was just a really interesting moment because here we are, family by nurture, um, but not by nature. But we're both kind of like trying to navigate our own um, potential genetic history issues. And then yet they're not related by blood, even though we're related. And then they have the luxury of that information. And yet I just want it so badly and I I don't have it. (laughs) Um, And it was an interesting moment for me as an adoptee, just sort of sitting there with my family member. um, Because I'm like, you know, there was some of it they just didn't want to know. And hmm. I just thought, so you could know, <laughs> but you don't want to know. And that just seems like you know, it's so sad to me because I just want to know and I can't know. Yeah. On Survivor Moda, you started mm-hmm. a blog. Uh, is that yeah. also the same website where uh, you sell some of your fashion wares as well? I actually have a um, 
type. I'm a tie designer, and uh-huh. I've actually that's always been my first baby. So um, <laughs> that is actually on RachelPark.com, and um, a friend of mine just wore one to the Emmys, and that was really fun. Nice. Um, that's pretty yeah, sweet. Congrats. So, yeah. Thanks. So that was fun. Um, yeah. So I um, yeah, that's kind of what I had moved initially to New York, and um, I was doing my tie business, and I thought, mm-hmm. oh, okay, if I'm going to be in fashion, you know, New York's the place to be. <laughs> um, so. <laughs> That's um, that's always been my first baby, and then Survivor Motor really just um, came from, was nascent from the cancer experience and just wanting to share yeah. my journey and um, help other survivors. Well, Moda is uh, what Spanish for fashion, fashion. right? Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> I mean, that's pretty cool. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, what else can we find on the uh, the blog then? Just, I hope it's a source of. Um, you know, I hope it provides empowerment to young breast cancer survivors and breast cancer information and resources. Like, who knew? Uh, I mean, certainly when I got um, diagnosed, who knew how much there was to know <laughs> about the world of cancer, especially breast cancer. So yeah. there's so much information I think that people um, aren't aware of. So I hope it's a great resource of info and tips for survivors and then also just um you know encouraging younger girls to stay stylish during treatment if they <laughs> feel up to it um but uh it is nice to you know kind of have some fun with it as you're going through it yeah yeah and i'm sure yeah you know, anything to get your mind off of just that situation that you find yourself in right yeah so that's good and it sounds like you know that's a good resource just in general for support and it sounds like it, it's a good repository for information about the experience and everything like that, too, without having to individually go to every meeting and try to talk yeah. to everybody going through it. Yeah. And I had written something recently about um, because I had my my surgery and, you know, a lot of people would say things like, oh, you get like a free boob job, you know, like or at least you get a free boob job. Or, you know, they say they would just say like asinine things like that. And I'm like, stop saying that. Yeah. <laughs> um but it just felt like there was a lot of misconception just about what the surgery was and what it yeah. involves and how your body changes after. And and I just felt like I was encountering that a lot. And then I just finally was like, I'm just going to write about it. And yeah. um, I had a really good res- – we had posted on another blog, and a lot of women had responded like, you know, thank you for writing this. And so it's really – it's always so rewarding to hear that. And I hope it's giving voice to some things uh, a lot of us are going through but aren't always comfortable talking about. Yeah. I mean, that's great. And it's, it sounds like it's a great resource and, uh, congratulations on making it through to the other side and be able to provide that resource, which sounds very rewarding. Thank you. Yeah. I'm excited to help survivors and, um, provide that for them. Yeah, absolutely. And so you can visit, uh, the website at survivor moda, M O D A.com. Yep. Do you have like a Twitter and an Instagram and a Facebook and all that? I do. I have lots of them. Should I just... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah where can people do you want all you of them or yeah just absolutely the, okay so for survivor moda i'm on twitter at survivor moda um and on facebook at survivor moda dot rachel um for my ties i'm on instagram at rachel park ties and twitter at rachel park ties and on facebook at rachel dot park dot designs dot ties all right that's a plethora <laughs> of of platforms yeah. <laughs> for you to all kinds of way to, to find me and find you yeah and so people can get in touch with you uh, at all those places. And uh, uh, if you're a cancer survivor and thriver and uh, going through that, 
Um, it sounds like you're available as a resource to uh, kind of help their way through. Yes. Excellent. All right. Well, with that, I think this was a, was a great conversation. How do you feel about it? Yeah, thanks for having me, Mike. Thank you for coming Thank on and for sharing your experience. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think this will yeah. be really, this is going to be a great, a great show, uh, especially because you, you provide a very unique perspective and you have a very unique uh, experience. And uh, you're, you're a very strong woman. You made it through and, I, and congratulations on all of that. Thanks, Mike. Thanks for having me and sharing my story. Thank you. I'm glad you uh, want to come on and share it. Uh, well, we'll tell uh, Holly you said hi when I see her in April. Yes, please do. All tell right. her to try one of those hot dogs. Absolutely. Well, we'll, uh, <laughs> we'll Instagram you uh, and tweet okay. you at, at, at all your Twitter and Facebook accounts. <laughs> My with, multiple platforms. <laughs> exactly. With the with the uh, the Chang dog, the infamous Chang dog. And you'll awesome. Have to, uh, I can't wait. Show me a picture back of the ramen burger. Of the ramen burger, I will. <laughs> We'll start a food album. It sounds good. <laughs> All right. Thanks. All right. Thanks, Mike. All right. Holy crap. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that great? What a strong woman. What an amazing woman. That's what an crazy, awful experience that I think, you know, she came out stronger and uh, puts herself in a great position to be supportive for people going through a similar thing, Uh, which as unfortunate as that is, you know, it seems like uh, the person who told her that cancer is a gift may have been correct in a very roundabout way. Uh, You know, I've always, my experiences with cancer uh, in friends and family have always been negative, but it's always amazing uh, and incredible to hear such a positive experience coming out of it on the other side. And so I encourage you, if you uh, have uh, somebody going through that or you are going through that yourself, to visit her website, SurvivorModa.com, or you can buy one of her amazing ties uh, designed for men and women. Yes, women too can wear ties at uh, RachelPark.com. RachelPark.com is where you can buy uh, her ties or at least uh, get in touch with her. So maybe you could shop for ties and she will uh, maybe make you a nice bespoke tie uh, like Holly's husband Dan had made for him for the, their wedding. And it's awesome. That uh, She also wants you, for me, to relay to you, the listeners, that uh, she wants to just double check and make sure that everybody knew that her family was extremely supportive throughout her uh, cancer treatment and they rallied around her. She has a very loving and uh, close-knit family that really helped her through as well. All right, and uh, let's get into the administrative stuff. Today, the music is provided by The Bell at Needle Drop Records and a collective effort, which I uh, I guess they did their farewell show last week in Korea. Uh, So I don't know where they're headed. I haven't heard anything, but uh, good luck to you guys wherever you're going, and I look forward to hearing more from you in the future. And uh, get in touch. Maybe we can can, uh, have you on the show. That'd be great. Uh, you can always find me on Twitter at the Rambler ADHD. You can email me at the Rambler ADHD at gmail.com and you can follow me on Facebook. Like me, like me or follow me. I don't, you know, don't stalk. I guess, you know, well, that's what the page is there for. All right. That's what the page is there for. It's at facebook.com slash the Rambler ADHD. 
And uh, you know what? If you're listening to the show and you like the show, send me a drop me a line. Drop me a little line that says how much you really like the show and what it means to you. I'd like to hear from you. Uh, also, if you uh, are interested in doing an interview, you can reach me at any one of those locations. Locations? Uh, the communication platforms? Social media? The web 2.0? I don't know what the kids are calling it these days. I don't have a Snapchat or an Instagram. I post all my pictures to the things I just told you about. Uh, and I will start doing that more with uh, the interviews I do in person. Uh, I will take a picture. Or I'll try to remember to take a picture with them. That way you can get a visual sense of what they look like in case you're not following them on, on the medias, online, on the Google machine or your Apple machine, whatever you use, whatever your flavor is, the Windows. All right? Listen, you guys have a great week, and uh, I will talk to you next week when uh, you listen into my conversation with Megan McCartney. A good day.